Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Support for this episode comes from user testing. Reading minds is hard. Good news is you don't have to. Remove the guesswork by including direct customer feedback using user testing at each stage of the product development process. Companies need to move quickly to build experiences that meet changing customer expectations, all while minimizing risk and costly rework. With user testing, you can get rapid feedback from your target audiences so that you can make higher confidence decisions earlier and faster. Design, develop, deliver, and optimize products and experiences with confidence and less risk. Start your free test today at usertesting.com slash Vox. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What it do, y'all? My name is Jed Mishu. I'm a writer for MMAfighting.com, the greatest website in the world. And we are back with another episode of Damn, They Were Good. Now, if you missed our first episode, we talked about the violent career of Carlos Condit. Make sure you go back, check that out. But this week, we are talking about a very different kind of fighter. Uh, one of the most interesting characters in the history of the sport, I think, a Hall of Famer and a guy who six years ago this week won in dramatic fashion, won the UFC middleweight title, Michael Bisping. Before we get into celebrating the career of the count, let me introduce you to this week's panel. Uh, for my money, the two best writers in MMA, maybe just the two best writers in the world. I, I don't want to pigeonhole them to only being the best writers in MMA, but from, from MMAfighting.com, Mr. Sean Alshadi and the man in the hat himself, Mr. Chuck Mendenhall. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Hey, man. Um, really nice intro, and the latter is actually true. Uh, best writers in the world, you know what I mean? So forget whole about world, Whole world. Not even a discussion, really. Like, yeah. We need to build our credibility <laughs> immediately on this pod, and that's how we're going to start it right now. We are the best. This, this is a podcast for building credibility. Let me that's just right. tell yes. you that. You know, Cormac McCarthy... You guys, it's just dead heat right there for best writers in the world. So I mean, I once saw Chuck out drink Cormac McCarthy in a bar right. just to the degree where that guy was a sputtering mess. Like this, that he ain't got nothing on us. Come on now. The set, I was I drank I so much totally that I totally believe that Corm Cormac's real name I found out later that night was John McCarthy. That's a weird one. I was I didn't realize who I was drinking with. But, uh, big is it big yeah. John McCarthy? That's the one. Is, is that I thought it was Cormac, man. I... But anyway. Uh, it's it's wonderful to be here, uh, and and I have to say, it makes my heart feel all sorts of warm, cuddly feelings inside to be reunited my, with my good pal Chuck. Uh, yeah. So thank you for doing this for us, Jet. You know that was I'm here to make your dreams come true, Sean. And I I loved <laughs> the Man in the Myth podcast, and I thought, you know, who better to talk about a really weird career uh, than than the two best writers in the world? You know, yes. uh, let's see if you're two of the best talkers in the world. <laughs> 
Because gentlemen, I'm going to start us out with a story. Because one of the reasons I wanted to talk about Michael Bisping this week, aside from the fact that it's the anniversary of him becoming the middleweight champion, is Michael Bisping is in many ways, or at least in some ways, responsible for this podcast. Because when I was a young pup, just getting into the world of MMA writing, I pitched an idea to the fine folks at Bloody Elbow. It was for a recurring series discussing the best fighters to have never even fought for a major organizational title. Um, I did it for a lot of reasons, mainly because I think that we don't appreciate fighters like that enough because it, it's it's really weird. MMA is like the only, maybe not the only, but one of the few sports in the world where being one of the 10 best people at it in any job is just like not good enough. That That's insane. If you were the 10, if you know, let's ask Cormac McCarthy, being the 10th best writer in the world, fairly <laughs> lucrative, pretty good gig. But if you're just the number 10 middleweight and you never crack past that, you're looked with kind of disdain. So I wanted to celebrate them. And at the time, this was right after Bisping's win over Anderson Silva. And I was like, who who more embodies this than Michael Bisping? And so being cheeky, I named it the Michael Bisping Hall of Almost Fame, you know, trying to get those clicks. And like three weeks later, honestly, maybe even shorter than that, uh, Bisping stepped in on short notice to fight Luke Rockwell. <laughs> Yep. immediately won the middleweight title and made me look like a huge asshole. Uh, <laughs> That's not hard, so Jed. I've seen that a, happen several times it, in your career. But anyway, go ahead, man. Look. It's not hard, <laughs> but this was the first time it ever happened. It taught me many lessons, and it also taught me lessons because immediately after this thing came out, Michael Bisping, uh, his, he at the time had his SiriusXM show, and his whoever was producer on that show reached out to me and was like, hey, Bisping <laughs> just read your article. He wants to come on the show and yell at you. Wow. And I was like, I it's like, I'm in law school. I can't just, I can't just call into the show. I have class. But uh, that was, that was when I learned that fighters uh, really don't like when you, you know, give them a compliment with a, with a sting in the tail. <laughs> So yeah. I learned a lot, but that was sort of the genesis of this whole podcast. It's been an idea that stuck with me for years, kind of talking about fighters at the end of their careers, you know, after their careers and celebrating them and just being honest about their careers as well. And that started with Michael Bisping. And so I wanted to do him very early. And that that's why we're here. What a segment that would have been. Yeah. I would have loved to hear you call in Michael, uh, Michael Bisping, just a fiery like vinegar in his bones michael bisbing just dressed you down in the middle of law yeah. class that would have been amazing your priorities it, are a little backwards, i have a lot you gotta go take your licks from from that well, guy when you get the chance you gotta go do that well, <laughs> well i didn't i didn't realize that i would end up being in this sport in a professional capacity for a really long yeah. time because i agree <laughs> i i have regrets that i didn't do it maybe you'll hear this one and he will invite me on his you know, believe you me podcast, and then he can get in all those shots and I can explain to him why I'm still totally correct. Cause if you go and read that article, <laughs> it's still up on bloody elbow. Every part of it is right. Except for the part where I say that he never fights for a major title because he does obviously do that and right. win it. But, but you didn't he, know that yet. he gave me more, something more important. Hey man, I've I mean, used who the... could have seen it? Who could have seen that coming? I've used the headline. I mean, uh, it was common knowledge. I mean, this was discussed quite a bit back in the day, right? Like, this is a guy who leaves it at the altar every time he's close to getting it. Like, he gets beat in the in the pivotal moment. I, I used to call him the penultimate fighter. 
um, because he was always that oh, one right before. That's good. That's good. That's good. So I mean, that's why everybody was taking the their the shots, Jed. You weren't the only one. You would have just uh, been taking the lashes for all of us who were saying things like that. Yeah, and I would have been fine to do it. And now I wish I had because yeah. it would have been that would have been great content if nothing else. <laughs> that would have uh, been good. So for you guys, though, yeah. I mean, outside of the penultimate fighter, kind of when you think of Michael Bisping, sort of what is what what's the first thing you think of kind of what's the big do you have any notable interactions with him uh i would like last week we asked you know are you a big carlos condit guy i don't feel like anybody's a huge michael bisping fan though right like unless you are please tell me if i'm Uh, wrong I, i bet they are now i would say that probably wasn't a thing back in the day or at least early on right because that is i think that's one element of to to the bisping story where a I don't know that he, I mean, I do know he, he, he was thoroughly reviled for like a really, <laughs> really long time. And it is so funny to see now because he's so beloved by universally the MMA community. Like everybody loves Michael Bisping. He's fantastic. I, I love the guy. But if you go back to his origins, all of America kind of really hated this dude for a really, sure. really long time and like took joy out of his misfortunes when the Dan Henderson knockout happens at UFC 100. It's like one of the most joyous moments for a lot of people where you, it was the end of this ultimate fighter season and he was just this villain and he played such a good villain. He was the ultimate heel for so, so long. But also there was this element to it, too, where it was this tragic comedy almost where, like Chuck said, like this penultimate fighter, like there you you would never see a fighter with more naysayers, with more doubters. Like at the time, I remember I worked on a piece for The Athletic when we were still over there uh, the night we faced Bisbing. And I, I talked to like a lot of people who were around his orbit who fought him. And the common thread throughout his opponents was he was just in their eyes the biggest name guy possible who was very beatable who who they just knew if i get right. this guy hey that's the springboard because i'm gonna beat this guy and it just so true that's like that's not wasn't the case for a lot of times right like this was to me genuinely like the essence of michael bisping is this guy was the definition of of perseverance and like the, you could run his career back a lot of different times and maybe you get a lot of different outcomes but the actual one that we got feels so fitting and and correct and right with what this guy embodied throughout because he just never never gave up and and the way this all plays out like to have his best run with one eye short notice like all of this like all every element of that just goes into this is a dude who just would not give up and he went from being the unluckiest fighter who so many different times I, i mean he might be the also the fighter most impacted by like steroid use and in, in that whole culture. Oh, that time. We're going to get to that for sure. For yeah. sure. He went from the unluckiest guy to just this, the luckiest final stretch that you could pen imaginable <laughs> in MMA. Like you, like that's it. You look at the the greatest final chapter of any fighter in history. And it's probably Michael Bisbing to, to some degree. And it's just, it, it's, it's crazy. And again, he kind of reversed um the the polarity when it comes to how people thought of him because even when i spoke to all those opponents and stuff like so many former opponents who hated him back in the day were actually genuinely happy to see this guy get his happy ending just because he worked so hard for it he tried so hard for it and he he made it happen like it's 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 a it's a joke now it's a meme the believe conceive achieve whatever (laughs) michael bisbing actually believed conceived and achieved dude like it's it doesn't make sense and it's still surreal all this time later. It's just so cool. He's something yeah, like that has always been. No, I was just going to say he's four. He's like four or five 
biographies in one, right? Like he's he's a he's a guy who the way he started off is like you mentioned. I mean, I think that there were a lot of people who's like, this is a prick. I don't want to ever root for this guy. Um, he's constantly on his skin. He's whiny. You know what I mean? Like he's just he was just an unlikable guy. But the evolution of that and part of it was him bringing people to um, his level of the way he saw the world, which was a, t- a difficult test. You have to be around a long time to make people start to agree with your cockiness and arrogance and start to see um, some kind of sentiment within that and be like, you know what? No, he's good, you know, but you also have to lose catastrophically a lot, you know, and I feel like he did that. He did that just enough where people are like, well, you know, now he's a, he's kind of a sentimental figure because he'll never get that title shot, you know, and like he's just a guy who's been around. He fights everybody. He's starting to break records. He's got like some ridiculous amount of octagon time. You plug him in in these weird situations. He's still England's Five guy hours or something. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, right? Like so, people start to pay attention to all of this story on those levels, and then just when you think literally that his story has been written, and even if it's already that crazy, he gets that crazy shot against Rockhold out of nowhere, and it just seems. And it, what was it like a sixteen day notice from where he wherever he was in Toronto, uh, and he he has that amount of time. And you're thinking. Wow, talk about a a, a a not very good idea is to throw Michael Bisping in there against a guy who just beat him eighteen months earlier and just wrecked him, and all of this stuff. And you're like, this is this is his title chance, like this conditional um, everything stacked against him against a guy who already has a number. It just seemed like a horrible setup for him to pull that upset, then go through his kind of vindi- you know his uh, vindication where he you know Dan Henderson and Anderson stuff. You can talk about anything you want about his actual run, but that is just i it's unlike anything that's happened in any fighter's career in MMA. Now, I don't know, but boxing has a a lot of crazy stories, but in terms of MMA, that is certainly the wildest trajectory I've ever seen, and I think that most fans would probably agree with that. Yeah, it yeah. it's it's something that I think could never actually be duplicated, right? Cuz you look at the actual window of time when all this happened. Yeah. It's like 18 months. It's like five fights over like 18 months. Like it is hyper, hyper condensed. And it is just, it, it, it's, it's, it, we talk about the Sisyphean aspect of this where the penultimate fighter, like he felt so forever close yeah. to it. And then when it actually happened, his story was already like written at that point. Like we had already sort of shuffled him off. Jed, you, you wrote the column, like the, the yeah, best guy to never sure win the did. title. Like that's who he was. <laughs> and we were all kind of just, Again, he like Chuck said, he almost became like a sympathetic figure at that point. We all kind of acquiesced, like, okay, tough stuff, Mike. Like, you were still really popular. Like you, you made said, a lot man, of money. He's got but... one eye. Everybody knows it going into this situation. Nobody's like, you know what I mean? It was like people try not to make a big deal out of the biggest deal that could possibly be. A guy has one eye going into these situations. It is insane, insane to me how that was just the most open secret in the sport <laughs> for like four years. Unbelievable. He just man. doesn't have an eyeball. That's fine. It's not a big deal. It could like all of this could just never be duplicated. It is so, yeah. so crazy. And again, I've I already said it once, but just it's surreal even now after all this time, because in a way it was almost never supposed to happen. Like all of this was never supposed oh, to happen. It was definitely never. This is it's not even that it couldn't be duplicated. If you wrote his story, like he has the most Disney movie story of all time to the point where if you wrote it, they'd be like, that's not, that's just, come on. He lost an eye too. We're really mm-hmm. stacking things up against him. This is ridiculous. Just, just have him overcome the bully and he wins. You don't have to do too much. It's the only person I can think in MMA who is even similar. And I, I don't think this is, she's to the degree, but Misha Tate finally getting the UFC belt from Holly Holm. That's the only kind of similar 
overcoming a, a lot of stuff, perseverance to get here. But I think, you know, she did it with two eyeballs. So that's, that's <laughs> dramatically different than, than and a doing very clear it as a third eye. She's very metaphysical. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> um, the other thing is Bisping was commonly, like you mentioned him ended up being this kind of Disney-esque fairy tale story, which is just, that's, that's what makes it just uh, his legacy. Um, perfect for anybody to actually go view and like the perseverance everything he had to go through to get it but man he was cast a couple of times as a guy who was standing in the way of other people's um you know their their disney Mm -hmm. stories or whatever i mean when he fought chael sonnen he was kind of this roadblock everybody was like dude he's just chael's got to get through him so we can see that rematch with anderson silva that's the only thing that people cared about um, you know, Matt Hamill back and people, in the day. And was really the, quick, really quick. People, people forget that like Chael kind of lost that fight. Like Chael today will tell you he, he probably lost that fight. big fight. But the whole world, the nobody, whole world just wanted Mike. Nobody wanted Mike to win. Everybody wanted to see Anderson <laughs> versus Chael again. So everybody, even the judges, are kind of like, okay, let's but just even, give it to Chael. So we can you're one hundred percent right. Step. And even the uh, even even when he fought Hamill, right? Like. There were people talking about a Hamill, um, you know, movies and things like that. Because here's a deaf fighter, which is kind of when you think about it. Given that Michael uh, Bisping had one eye later in his career, how how bizarre this is too. Uh, just kind of the sensory things that are going on in this, but like uh, you know, Matt Hamill was the guy. They're like, well, eventually there'll be like movies about this guy because this is remarkable. It's just when you look at the career as a whole, man. I mean, he's went through every kind of thing from B siding to being an obstacle to being the guy who saves events, you know, to being a champion. It's just, uh, it's. I don't even, I mean, what, what can you say? Because even if you tried to write that, the only thing that he did wrong was lose to Gaslam. If he had just left after GSP, not taken that la- that last week, it would actually have been a perfect career, I think. Like, you know, in this weird um, storytelling sense and in legacy and just the, what you have to do, because all the things that matter, him persevering, him doing these things under the incredible odds would be intact. They still are. It doesn't lose much, but... That was the one thing that you're like, ah, why did you have to take that one last L on, like, you know, at, at the end there? But uh, that's the only thing, honestly, in terms of his career whole. I, I do wish selfishly that we would have gotten, you know, I know they talked about maybe a fight against Rashad at the end or something. I do wish we would have gotten some sort of, um, you know, legends fight at the oh, end yeah. for Mike so that he could go through that farewell tour, that victory tour. Cause you're right. The gasoline one was what, like two, three weeks yes. after the GSP fight. Other it was such world. a quick turnaround. Yeah. Other side of the world, last second replacement. Like it just, it, I don't feel like it was a proper send off for someone of Mike's caliber. And I would have loved to see him go on the farewell tour. And I guess he got that ultimately when he was enshrined in the, in the hall of fame. And he really did get a moment to receive his flowers from a lot of people. Well-deserved. Absolutely. Uh, but I do wish we sort of would have had that one yeah. final like vintage Mike performance against maybe someone who, you know, was also on the back nine. Yeah, I I mean, honestly, I just wanted him to go out in England like that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. To not yeah, to not have point. gotten the final fight in England like that. Not in Shanghai, China. <laughs> yeah. in Shanghai, China. Is on like two was? days notice. Just. Yeah. yeah and it was, it was, wasn't it like a. You know, in the morning for us, like yeah. it was just oh, yeah. a very. It was like a super weird thing because he, because I remember at the time he had said very clearly, like I'm still after the uh, GSP loss, like I'm going to retire soon. But he's like, I don't know, I'm still in good shape. 
I just mm-hmm. kind of want to go get another paycheck and then I'll do it. But then after he got bolted by Gastelum, he was like, oh, that's when he started having vision problems in his other eye. He was like, I might be blind. I should probably Jeez. not be blind, which is great choice on his part. Yeah. If you have the option to not be blind, take that option for sure. <laughs> but that is a better option. It's, yeah. just a, it's just a tough, it's tough to not that his final fight wasn't against We'll, we'll get into into that with some of the categories a little later, but I think there could have been some really fun fights for him to retire or just give him a squash match in England. I don't care if he fights anybody good. Yeah. He just deserved <laughs> to have. I mean, we saw earlier this year, the O2, how that place exploded for Tommy Aspinall and, and company. Michael Bisping, the final fight of his career after he's won the belt, that place is going to be a, a nuclear bomb and he deserved to have that to go out. So, um that is that is a shame. Also, because it's been said many times about his life story, how great it is. Have either of you read his book? Because it's fantastic. Yes, yeah, it's, it's sensational. Our, our good buddy Ant Evans out, did, Ant, worked yeah. on that, and shout out Ant, who's probably listening to this. But it's it's good stuff. One of one of my favorite. If I think maybe the Ken Shamrock book is my favorite. Uh, MMA fighter autobiography, but Bisping is Quitters Never Win, I think is the name of it. Mm-hmm. It's a really good book. Um, and because we probably won't talk about it, just just worth noting, this man, you know, his, his life is even more impressive because with a seven-month pregnant wife, he went to jail, like real jail for a while, and then came out of that to turn his life into this thing. Like, the man is a Disney movie. And, and He's like that three is, Disney movies. It really is. It's, it's so, so true. wild. Um, it's so insane. Uh, well, that is a good preamble to to what we're talking about here. Let us move into some categories. Before we do that, for the listeners, uh, I'm going to give you a quick recap. Uh, we talked a lot about his career, but just run through some of the major highlights here as a refresher in case you guys aren't, aren't up to date in your Michael Bisping uh, info. He began his career in 2004. Uh, in England, he won the Cage Rage light heavyweight title in his third fight, and then the Cage Warriors light heavyweight title in his fifth. From there, he was cast in season three of The Ultimate Fighter, back when being in The Ultimate Fighter meant something, you know, <laughs> as opposed to just being a new pipeline into the you UFC. Don't watch it anymore? He won that. <clears throat> I I haven't watched it in years. Not so. getting in on this Bobby Maximus action? What's going on? <laughs> I, why would I watch it when our young. good friend Alexander K. Lee... <laughs> Oh yeah, see, didn't work out for him being forty-three. You got a sucker on the roster over there. (laughs) All right. Uh, (laughs) uh, So Bisping, after uh, he enters the UFC, puts together some wins. Gets his first career loss against Rashad Evans in a split decision. That moves him to middleweight, and the rest of his career is at middleweight. And then the rest of his career is what we talked about. He won a bunch, but always seemed to lose the big fight. Um, Dan Henderson, Vanderlei Silva, Chael Sonnen, Vitor Belfort. The Belfort fight's the big one because that is the one that ultimately led to him losing his eye and then fighting four more years with one eye, which is... His four again, best his, years, yeah. Yeah, his yeah, four no best shit. years are when he lost an eye. It doesn't make sense. Um, and uh, and then he, he loses to Luke Rockhold, and that really seemed to be the end of it. And then suddenly he goes on the career-defining run, rattles off a bunch of wins. Anderson Silva beats Luke Rockhold in the rematch, gets the title belt, uh, goes on, you know, fights Dan Henderson in a vanity match, fights GSP, <laughs> loses the title, fights fights Castle and loses that. 
he retires with a number of accolades. He is the first British UFC champion. And off the top of my head, is he still the only? I can't think of anyone else. Yeah, he is still he the still, only. Still the only British UFC champion. He holds uh, the record for most wins, most fights, uh, most fight time, and most significant strikes in middleweight history inside the UFC. Um, he retired with most fights in UFC history. That's since been passed by a number of people. He had five fight of the nights, two performance of the nights, and an overall record of 30 and nine. And in 2019, he was inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, a well-deserved induction. Um, but kind of that's that's the nuts and bolts of Michael Bisping's career. So let's roll ourselves into our categories to kind of dive deeper into what that means. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Support for this episode comes from user testing. Reading minds is hard. Good news is you don't have to. Remove the guesswork by including direct customer feedback using user testing at each stage of the product development process. Companies need to move quickly to build experiences that meet changing customer expectations, all while minimizing risk and costly rework. With user testing, you can get rapid feedback from your target audiences so that you can make higher confidence decisions earlier and faster. Design, develop, deliver, and optimize products and experiences with confidence and less risk. Start your free test today at usertesting.com slash vox. All right, so we are on to the award section of this. We're going to break down the the many things that happened in Michael Bisping's career, and we're going to start, as always, with the Mount Rushmore. Uh, everyone should be fairly familiar with how Mount Rushmore works. You pick your top four fights, uh, you, you, you name what they are, and I'm leaving that open to interpretation. Uh, it can be the four fights you think most define his career, uh, his best performances, his most memorable, however you want. And I think with this being, depending on your interpretation, this could be really interesting. I'll lead off with mine because honestly, this was the most difficult award for me because for as much as Michael Bisping's career was was really relevant and important, the nuts and bolts of it are are kind of a tough hang. <laughs> he does not have a lot of fights that like scream, I want to go rewatch that. With Carlos Condit, I could have had 30. Like you just throw a dart, any of them you could put on Carlos Condit's Mount Rushmore. With Bisping, you got to have Luke Rockhold at UFC 199. I think I mean that's the career defining performance. He wins the belt. It's his best performance ever probably and probably the best highlight he's ever authored too so it's that i also took anderson silva i was ufc london at a fight night event in 2016 uh that i mean prior to the rockhold thing that was the fight that was the fight that for years he had wanted he finally got it we're going to talk more about that fight uh moving forward i'm sure but he he gets his hand raised i've got to take that I'm going with Josh Haynes, his win wow. off the Ultimate Fighter finale. Uh, I like it. I like it. That is mostly just because because the outside of the top two, I think that there's not nothing else really jumps out. But the Josh Haynes one is just a, 
a very important fight for his career as he wins the Ultimate Fighter contract. He's now established in the UFC. Uh, the UFC immediately is behind him as a promotional entity because he's English, and this is at a time when the UFC is really trying to grow their international fan base. You know, Bisping has the gift of gab. He has a terrible shaved head. He does much better <laughs> later in life when he when he adopts the lettuce. But he's still a guy they want to get behind. And Josh Haynes is that big seminal moment in his career. Really quickly, my last one, before you move yeah. on from Josh, can I tell a story about Josh Haynes? Real yes. Oh, I'd love Please you to tell do. a story about Josh Haynes. So one of my favorite parts of doing the the Night We Face series is is just getting to be able to talk to a lot of the the former opponents just so much after the fact and or sort of seeing like who came around right of like that is i referenced it earlier of like who kind of came around to like oh like i'm a i'm a fan of nate diaz or i'm a fan of jose aldo or whoever the the subject is the funny thing with mike is that it was so it was so polarized because as i said a lot of guys did come around just because he came became such a sympathetic figure but a lot of the early guys like in that in that middle in that early in section, the tough house with him yeah where it was like <laughs> mike is just an asshole Basically, during this part of his, <laughs> portion of his career, and he's letting you know about it while he's doing it, to, uh, while he's beating your ass, basically. Those guys maybe didn't come around as much. Uh, and <laughs> of, of everyone I reached out to, I actually didn't get to talk to Josh for the piece. But of everyone I have reached out to for any of these stories, and I've, I think I've done several at this point, five, six maybe, he might be the most salty interview subject I have ever reached out to and just had a conversation wow. with about, hey, will you will you speak to me for 20 minutes about this guy who beat you up? <laughs> I had reached who? out to him to speak to this story and he didn't he, he didn't respond multiple times and I just kept kind of pestering him. And finally, he did respond. We had a, a brief conversation and he made it very, very, very apparent to me that he hates Michael Bisping and he hates <laughs> the fact that all of this happened for Mike. And like, he was just the saltiest person wow. I have ever spoken you to know. for this. And he re utterly refused to give me even like a minute of, of his time for this. Like it was, it was, I, I, That's hilarious. I don't want to publicly release things that he said that were in private, but it was, it was quite interesting to just see like, Oh dude, like you never <laughs> kind of got over this. Like this was a seminal moment for you and you just never moved past it. Wow, that is not Wild, what I man. would have anticipated was coming from Josh Haynes. Because <laughs> it's not like it's not like they were both undefeated guys, and that's that was really the the thing that derailed Josh Haynes' career. Josh Haynes was overachieving at tough. He lost at tough and mm -hmm. came back to then fight in the finals. So shocking to hear that, but okay. Um good good to know that <laughs> early guys still Still feeling some type of way because a lot. <laughs> See, there's, I, that, there's that grudge match they could have used at the end of the career, right? Like, there's the grudge match. Bring that back Josh Haynes, yes. baby. <laughs> that would have been the best the retirement fight possible. Let's go. <laughs> just, just bookend his UFC career right there. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> so my last one, uh, I was torn between two because I don't feel... Brian Stan's just not like a fun fight to watch, but I think it's a more important fight. So I took the sexy Yama, Yoshiri Akiyama, yeah, uh, fights him at UFC 120, arguably his best performance to date at that point. He he really put the boots to, to sexy Yama, outstruck him by like 100 strikes or something, uh, which at the time was not like, uh, now we get a lot of fights where people are throwing, landing 120 plus strikes around, you know, Max Holloway has broken mm -hmm. MMA in that regard, but... 
back in the day, much less common, especially in middleweight and higher. So I'm rounding myself out with Yoshihira Akiyama. Chuck, let's go to you. How do you feel about well, my list? Do you have the identical list? What's your list look like? It's. I thought for a minute we were going to be identical, but the uh, the Haynes one. That's a, that's a good call. That is a good call. I did not have that on there, and I actually instead I, I thought about uh, Sexyama. I was like that. I remember that fight. I remember watching it <clears throat> and and feeling like, wow, man, like this is Bisping that you thought could be there. Like the guy, his full potential. He looked great in that fight. I ultimately picked Kung Lee only because. <laughs> That fight was just kind of bonkers. That's a good one. That's a good one. And, yeah. And it was one of those later, it was kind of little, a little later uh, for Michael Bisping, and he was able to get a finish in that fight, but just a, you know, just a gunfight. They went in there to, to kill each other. I mean, and, it, and it, like you mentioned, Bisping, he had a fairly, like he could nullify if he needed to, like, because he went against wrestlers and guys like that, like, you know, big punchers. He could, he could figure out ways to make a, a fight a little ugly. And sometimes he didn't, and I think in that that type of fight, like he he went out there and he was like, "Let's just, I'll, I'll meet you, I'll accommodate you, let's do this." So that fight always stands out to me. Uh, that was a good one. I have to go. I, I agree with both the Anderson Silva because how can you not? The fact that he got Anderson Silva in that context after all those years of being in Anderson's shadow when Anderson was ruling that division was just poetic in itself like just him making the walk to go fight him you know and then to have uh you know success in that fight the controversy that we have that fight everything that went around it it just was it seems so kind of epic for his career at that moment you know um i i still think that that one holds the test of time the rock hold obviously it's important to remember on the anderson it's important to remember on the anderson thing too because i think in in retrospect people look at anderson differently not in his career but at least in that specific instance he had lost twice to weidman but he he had beaten nick diaz there had obviously been the whole everything that came out after that with the failed drug test and that being turned into a no contest but anderson wasn't washed washed like he got to be at the end of his actual ufc run he was still there was still cachet to fighting anderson silva oh, yeah. even though he was clearly past his prime so that I think that win probably has not aged as well as it could have, but at the time was still a really meaningful win. Sure, yeah, it, it felt that way. Uh, and and then the Rockhold one, obviously, because of everything we've mentioned, but also there was a smug, I, there was a juxtaposition there, like of the smugness of Rockhold in that lead up to the fight, just that the inevitability that he's going to win. Saying that Bisping had pillows for hands, like he would never be able to knock anybody out, like not worried about it in the slightest. So to get the knockout and to watch watch Rocco go down the way he did, I it's impossible. This is one of those things where fighting translates. If for people who watch other sports but they don't really watch fighting, or maybe they casually watch fighting, and you're like, "Well, what's the big deal about these?" Those are the moments in fighting that you're like, "I can't, you can't even get close in other sports." It's it's one of those situations you're like, "Dude." You have to understand the full context of this, and if you went into that fight understanding the full context of what was what had happened, what had stood before, the improbability of everything, the poetic nature of everything, that knockout was insane. You know, it's like it just it it checked every single box, and uh, so to me, that's that's the number one. I think that would have to probably be all of our number ones. I don't know. We'll, we'll yeah. wait for Sean. Sometimes he yeah, throws curveballs for sure, for sure. But I kind of cheat on this last one, okay? Because to me. If you could put a slash through and show both Henderson fights, you show the first one because I think oh, such an okay. important part of his career was getting that viral KO, getting knocked out like that. 
just such a vital point of his career. So much of what came out of the way we view him comes from that one fight, right? Like, it's just there's so much to it. It's mostly negative. He's had to deal with it his whole the whole time, like, had to overcome it. So much of that <clears throat> stood the test of time going into the rematch. And then if you could show then the other the other fight with Henderson, how that one played out, Um you know him tagging Henderson multiple times in that in that fight. I just think that it almost those two happened things, again. Yeah. It almost happened again in that fight. Twice. You're absolutely right. Twice. I know. I know. <laughs> but if you were just to Can put you those two together, how differently all of these conversations would be if that had been how that ended. I know. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So it's like it's kind of the bookends to like a, a a crazy run. You know what I mean? So I know it's kind of cheating, but I feel like the Henderson series belongs there somehow. Does it bother you at all that he should have lost to Henderson in the rematch as well? And the judges gave him a gift of a victory because <laughs> it felt like a lifetime I will achievement stand award. on this corner forever. Yeah, I that doesn't bother me. I, I haven't rewatched I, it since since the fight. But yeah, I rewatched it again uh, for this. And I at the time I scored at 48, 46 and I will stand on this corner forever. Dan Henderson almost killed him, and so that should win the fight. Because hey, in the same way we wanted Michael Bisping to win the belt, we all wanted it's Dan Henderson Bisping to celebration. win the Here you title. are sobering like, everything up. Come on, no, Chad. I wanted, I, I, yeah, I wanted, I wanted <laughs> Mike to get his moment there. I was perfectly happy with it. I think Mike won that fight. That's where I'm oh. saying. Oh, man. He's going to like you a lot more once he listens to this than he likes me. But that's okay. We already have beef, me and Mike. So. Got a lot Sean, of what about you? Where... I assume that you share at least two of our uh, the the same two that that Chuck and I share. So I actually like what Chuck just did there, juxtaposing the Henderson first one and the second one. And I almost want to do the same with Luke Rockhold, but in a different way. Like if it, actually, if you look at it's it's almost weird to talk about, but like if you look at the post fight press conferences for each Luke Rockhold fight and sort of the difference between them. It is so stark and so just incredible to see how the difference between just a span of a couple of years, because if you watch, go back and watch the the press conference, the post-fight press conference from after the first Rockhold fight, Michael Bisbing, it, it's it's almost like a realization in his mind that like, this is it. Like I, like this is the, it's, it's done. Like, cause that's kind of how we all felt at the moment too, right? Mm-hmm. Like this was sort of the last run. This is the last chance for him. He it was right after the Kung Lee fight. We just mentioned and it just for it to end so unceremoniously, like you, you can just see him staring back beyond the the wall, uh, the back wall of the press conference, just miles and miles. Like he has a miles long stare in that press conference, and he's kind of trying to crack jokes and just be his normal jovial self, like his cheeky self. But like, it is just such a somber moment, and it almost feels like a funeral with the with the questions that are being asked and all of this. And yet he's still like that. Whatever that fighter element of him is still right there because every time somebody's like okay is this are you gonna quit like is this kind of the end he's like no i'm a fighter like i'm a fighter i'm gonna keep fighting i'm gonna keep trying to do this and it just felt so like just going through the motions at that point it felt so like perfunctory in a way that is so strange to see now like to watch that back in retrospect but whereas this the the post-fight press conference to, to the second rockhold fight Chuck, I think you and I have talked about this on on one of our mm-hmm. old pods when we did like a, a fight flashback of this. Y'all, if you haven't, if you weren't around for UFC 199, don't even watch the fight. Go back and find the press conference and watch the press conference because that was when they would do press conferences with all the fighters still in the room together immediately after all of this. 
It is the single greatest post-fight press conference in the history of post-fight press conferences. It is just, court. it is just an unbelievable performance. Like, I, I, like you can go back now and you will lose your mind laughing at some of the one-liners coming from just what? What's up? I see you I bursting say, to say also, something. Credit to Luke Rockhold for just being <laughs> the the lamest dude ever because it makes it so <laughs> yes. good in that post fight because he doesn't take an ounce of humility he got served a heaping helping of humble pie and oh my he God. just doesn't care he is just jawing at bisping and Bisping's just like i just knocked you out in the first round you goon it's it, the it, it just thing. can't handle Can't that moment it. like it is one of the moments few moments i like the new format because you can get more time with everybody yeah. when it's individual but this is one of the old moments where that old format is just so clearly superior because yeah. rockhold is just so supremely pissed off and mike comes in <laughs> hot as hell just being a pompous dickhead he is gleeful he comes in and he's just like some say revenge is sweet I say it's better than sweet. And then just he asks Luke to thank him. Oh, he asks Luke to thank him and they're doing a back and forth. And then he just cuts Luke off, turns to the media and points to Luke. And he's like, what an asshole, guys. <laughs> and just claps in his face. Like it is, it is a tour de force. It is a 10-7 the whole way through. It's unbelievable. It's like he knew Luke's arrogance. He could just run circles around it, man. He knew he could do that. He knew he could do that. That It showed Especially you that so moment, much how yeah. much... Yeah, man, and he, it just showed you how much better he was at playing the game. And you, the, I mean, that's like denial from Rockhold right there. Still thinking that you know you're you're <laughs> oh, not superior anymore, man. Denial. They just lost. You know, it was crazy. I, I last thing I'll say about the press conference. My favorite moment comes at one point. Um, I just, it's after all of this. Like he's been going for a bit, and it's it's clear. Like okay, maybe he's running out of steam. He stops everything. He gets Luke's attention. And he's like, hey, 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 hey. And he just kind of like slowly lifts the UFC belt in front of Luke's face. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, man! I cannot imagine the emotions running through Luke Rockhold's head as he's so sitting beautiful. here listening to this dickhead talk for like forty minutes. It is yeah, like a long press conference, man. Yeah, because he was holding he, as he should. And I think when we talked about it earlier, it's really interesting that like I remember at the time. That that was just great. Like, and it's still great. And had that happened, if he had beaten Anderson uh, Silva to get the belt and done that, he would have been the world's biggest villain. But yeah. because he had already had all the setbacks, because it's Luke Rockhold, who is an unintentional villain. Like, Bisping's an intentional yeah. villain. He says stuff. Luke Rockhold just it's a good point, man. is that way. <laughs> and, and so it was sweet to watch this arrogant dude get fed crow. And it was just, it was such a perfect moment. It's a phenomenal point to bring up, Sean. Uh, it's it's absolutely worth watching if you guys have not seen it. I promise it's on YouTube. Go find it. It's it's just so good. Honestly, that's uh, better. I would rather watch that than the sexy Ama fight for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the press conference alone should be on my Mount Rushmore. Uh, but yeah, I agreed with with two, actually three of your picks, Jed. I had Luke Rockhold. Uh, I think the Anderson Silva fight is it has to be on there as well. I know for a long time we we said it, so I won't reiterate it. But that Mike kind of felt like that was his title fight. If if like if he had retired after the Anderson one, I don't know that he would have been fully content. But I think some level of contentment would have been in there of like, okay, I beat the guy who was the guy for my entire career basically, and that that meant something to him. Also, the way that fight went, like Mike almost getting knocked out and basically actually getting knocked out like mid fight. 
and then coming back and winning the fourth round like right after that like that is literally the definition of what makes this guy so incredible it's just the perseverance of that it's a microcosm of his career in that one fight it's just unbelievable and if that fight's not in london maybe that fight gets stopped right like who knows true we're Uh, gonna talk about that in a minute so i also (laughs) had the josh haynes one um the josh haynes element to it nice uh because i think a lot of people don't realize how incredible it was for mike to even be there on, on the ultimate fighter like England was in a very weird place when it came to MMA at that point in time. And this was actually something I kind of learned a little bit about when I was doing that piece of just like they were almost in their own bubble. Like they like they did not exist to the rest of the world when it came to MMA. It was all very weird and back alley and gangstery in a, in a strange way. Like it, it was there's a lot of just weird stuff going on in England and the scene didn't really exist. But once that opportunity came, it was almost just unanimously agreed like, Oh, well, Mike's going to be the guy like Mike's going to like like Ant, when, when I spoke to Ant for that story, he told a great story about how Mike goes in to, to the tryouts and uh, it's it's the tryouts for the ultimate fighter. And he goes into the interview and there's this big, long table and like all the hot shots are there. Joe Silva, Dana White, I think Forrest Griffin's there and, and the producer of the show, the executive producer, of the ultimate fighter is there. And Mike comes in and they're all looking at him. And the first question is just like, oh, so what do you think of all the competition out there? And he, he just his answer is like, oh, I'm fucking thrilled that they're there. I'm thrilled because you can't pick them and not pick me. And if you're going to pick anyone, you've got to pick me because I beat all of them. And it's just like the, that <laughs> element of cockiness is just so spectacular. And so the Josh Haynes one for me is his breakout. Uh, it's the first time that we really knew who he was as an American audience. We fucking subtitled him, which is hilarious. That's right. In retrospect. <laughs> Sometimes I wish. I sometimes I still wish they we would, did that. Honest. That is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I can't oh, believe man. they did that. That's we don't. Darren Till. We don't subtitle anybody. We don't subtitle Scousers. <laughs> we subtitle Bisping. That's nuts. Uh, and then the the last one for me. Um, you're right, Jed. That it's kind of hard in a weird way to pick with Mike. Like there are. It is sort of strange that the there aren't a lot of really incredible. His, his best highlights are him are him losing. Like the the here, show me a quick vine mm-hmm. of this is him getting knocked out by Dan Henderson yep. or Vitor Belfort. It's not he doesn't have that many of those. I remember Dan Henderson well, for, once told for me for a long time. Yeah, Dan Henderson told me like I don't know this this wasn't that long ago, maybe like five years ago, but a long time after UFC 100, he's like somebody had asked him what is the when people approach you, strangers like what do they. What do they want to talk to him? He's like, everybody always just mentions, thank you for knocking out Michael Bisping. This was, <laughs> he was like, yeah. that's what they remember Dude, the most he, about his career, you know? He took that as his logo. I was going to say, he made that as logo. He was the logo. Yeah. Like it's, and even you at the award show, like one year they even did a spoof on this. It was like pillows, like he was selling pillows or something. And uh, he's it was yeah, like all about his, uh, you know, you know, the, like you know, the award show where they do those dumb little um, Yeah, fighters only would for yes. sure do that exact yes. thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's for the longest time, that was, in my mind, the definitive MMA highlight. Like, I mean, there are tons of them, but yeah. if I'm just thinking of one, it's the H-bomb from Hendo. And, you know, we talked about it. You got to exercise those demons. There's, there's, there are whole the short stories written about that follow-up. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like this, yeah. that that in itself was Which a story. Is, in retrospect, an incredibly dirty follow-up. Oh, oh yeah. Wildly inappropriate. Like, way over the line. Dude. Like, that would be received very differently. That would be received very differently in 2021, 22. Yeah. And, 
Hindu even says it too. He's like, yeah, didn't need to hit him. Just kind of wanted to shut him up. <laughs> it's, it's a tough scene. To shut him up. That's his, his a tough scene. But, so what uh, are you closing down with then, Sean? Yeah. So my my final one, I went early as well on this. Uh, I went to the very, very early England scene where it was kind of the fight Whoa. where Mike established himself as the man in the English scene. It was the second fight against Mark Epstein. Uh, because at that point, Mark Epstein was sort of the man in the scene. And then Mike beat him once. And then it was it was Mark Epstein's like a classic British tough guy. Like he's like a real tough guy. Like you don't want to mess with Mark Epstein in a bar. Like something really crazy could happen to you back in the day. Uh, and so Mark Epstein was able to finagle himself a, a quick rematch right after that. And Mike just handled him again. Like it was nothing. And at that point it, it was pretty unanimous among everybody in England. Like, Oh, if we get a guy, it's going to be Mike. And I think that that in itself is important. Um, and I want to throw in one story real quick, just very, very quickly, uh, about that, that time. Cause I'd spoke to Dave O'Donnell, the, the founder of cage rage. And he was telling me the way that he got introduced to Mike was he gets this phone call, uh, and they're like, hey, Dave, I got this geezer, Mike the Count Bisping. He's he's descended from a count. He's got this Dracula getup. He comes in in a big cape. And it's just he's got a bunch of fans and it's a oh whole God. Dracula setup. And it's just I don't I wish I could see video of that. I don't know if that's true. Oh I want it to be true. I just want to see him walk. I want that walk. to be true so much. I so badly want to see him walk down that's with the Dracula getup. Man, that is awesome. Man. <laughs> that is the best story. I also am just you're now the right guy to have on here because you talk to all these cats, man. That's a, that's awesome. Yeah. Like that's some crazy backstory right there. It's not a mistake. It's, yeah, it's not no, a mistake you know truck. what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. He's strategic. I like it. <laughs> I also just realized this when you said Epstein, and I looked him up and realized that they rematched Michael Bisping four and zero in rematches. Oh. Like good, good for oh. him. Yeah. Ross Point at, at tough. I mean, he won the first one. He won the first one against Epstein, but. Beat Rockhold the second time. Uh, and who was the other person? Oh, Hindo, of course. So 4 0 in rematches. Good for what? you, Mike Bisping. And, oh, and that's th- three and, that, three that and one. First Ross fight. Hendo. <laughs> no. According three to you. One. That first but, you Ross know, one. Officially. Officially. <laughs> uh, the first Ross one like illustrates exactly how much of a maniac Mike was. Because I think that fight was like literally the day before the tough tryouts. And wow. just goes in there and handles shit. Ross and then goes to the tough tryouts. Well, I mean, also fair credit to Ross for also going to the top yeah. trials after yeah, getting handled by Bisping that's the night before. So tough bastards. Uh, to, man, MMA was people were built different back in the day. It was it was just a bunch of lunatics running around. I love it. Uh, I love it so much. Know, that like weird era is just my favorite because mm. there's so many stories. It is. That's why I wanted to do this. I want to relive the fun things of being a fan of MMA in the late 90s, early 2000s, where everybody was just a maniac. (laughs) Uh, All right. So we have pretty much agreement here on Mount Rushmore uh, for at least half of it. And then the other, you can sprinkle in and feel good. Let us move on to our next category, the, and I'm not good at the impression, but I'm not impressed by your performance. That's pretty (laughs) good. George St. Pierre. What is the low, the career low for Michael Bisping? Um, you know, it can be inside the cage, outside of the cage for Bisping. I don't think outside of the cage would be the same as for some other fighters we may talk about on here eventually. But uh, what's the career low performance oh, for you? Uh, Chuck, let's start with you. Where where are you going? Uh, see, he's he's this is one of those categories where you're like, he actually had several very low lows, right? Like they are contenders. They are contenders for yeah. this one. I mean, I'll throw out. Obviously, if you lose ice, your eye, 
that's a low moment in your career. I can't even begin to imagine. <laughs> that's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. You really especially, went out on a limb there, did you, Chuck? Especially, you know, this was the that uh, that feasting period for the TRT Vitor when they were just dropping guys in by helicopter to just get annihilated in Brazil. And what was it, 2013 or whatever that was, or, or 12? Um, it's just... 2013, yep. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that year... By itself, for T- for the TRT Vitor is just it's almost it's like it's it's almost it feels too fantastic, too weird, too out there to really have existed. But uh, that particular fight, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what it took for him to accept what had happened, to move on, and to keep going. So I feel like that had to have been just a a rock bottom moment on a lot of levels. Um, but. I mean, I'll, I, I don't want to take all of them, but the UFC 100 one we just discussed when it goes viral and people are seeing that forever, and they've used that on every piece of B-roll in UFC history when they're trying to just show um, how crazy the sport is and all that stuff. Like, when you're when you're on the receiving end of that, that can't feel good either. And he was very close, if you recall, like to finally breaking through and getting a title shot. All those things were in play, and it was just destroyed that, all in that one That was a title point. eliminator fight. Yeah, yep. So, I mean, all of that stuff is... uh, He gets his title shot. So, I'll give you those two. I know there are others to choose from, but I will give you guys the floor for the others here. Sean, where are you coming from? That Vitor year is just so... It's such a bizarre moment in history looking back on it yes, because it he got two other guys we've you been what, talking about. He you got know Sean's doing Luke right now? And he's, putting together, too. he's putting together a feature in his mind right now. That's what he's doing. That's, that's what I like about him. <laughs> the <laughs> the <laughs> Vitor feature? That's going to be a good one. I would read that. I would read that at some point. Yeah. I'll be honest, that dude They're, doesn't deserve that. That was ridiculous. With that that no, was like one of the, the worst cheats in MMA history. And I've totally I've, legal. He did nothing wrong. I know unapologetic about how badly he was cheating. Like the fact that that was allowed to happen and that he was able to do that to Luke and Dan and and Mike in that one year and then just not fight for like a year and a half. And the next time we see him, he's obviously not the same guy. Screw that guy, man. That guy doesn't deserve anything. You won't won't be invited on that pod then, Sean. I do not want to be invited (laughs) on that pod because I'm just going to crap on him for two hours. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, Chuck hit the big ones. In terms of the lowlights, I think you could also throw the Jorge Rivera incident there because I think for a long time, oh right, that, that probably colored a lot of people's impressions of Mike, where he spits on him or the corner man mm-hmm. after the, after the fight. Um, I mean, it is what it is. It's the fight game. Jorge Rivera talked a lot of shit before that fight. I kind of understand to some degree. Uh, I will say, <laughs> remember the, the video? The remember of, the video he put out? <laughs> yeah, like video, exactly. Like a like, music video. Yeah, that got really fiery, <laughs> and and you know. I can see where yeah. Mike was coming from. Maybe you don't spit on him, though. Uh, the Gastelum fight, I think, too, we mentioned. We hit on it a little bit. I wish that would have he would have gone out in a different way. Uh, but other than that, I think we hit the big ones. See, this, so this is so interesting to me because he has so many lows that would define other fighters' careers, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Hindo thing should define a fighter's career, that loss. The Vitor, I mean, it's hard to argue with Chuck. If you, you lose an eyeball, that is a low point by any <laughs> definition of it. But the first two, honestly, that jumped out to me, and one of them after upon thinking, I decided is not not fair enough. It, it was the, the George St. Pierre loss, mm. just because I think people forget that he was kind of kicking GSP's ass in that fight. He had like a slow first round, but GSP was visibly winded, busted open from elbows, and then Mike just kind of got 
blown up by a welterweight granted greatest fighter of all time and you know in hindsight you can just sort of forgive it because he had already had his laurels uh playing with house money at that point so i don't think it can be a career low but his career would be very differently had he won that fight because i think there would have been a really good chance that he just retires uh, if he beats gsp i I think think he's just like yeah yeah because because he clearly didn't want to fight yoel or robert whitaker or do Mm. that song and dance and it was a fight he was winning and if he goes out retired as the middleweight champ who just beat one of the greatest fighters of all time like that is unbelievable but i kept circling back to the first rockhold loss because of everything you said earlier sean because of at that post-fight press conference it was like a funeral. It was, and and it should have been like, I, it still boggles my mind that he continued to compete after that, knowing that he had one working eyeball, that he had a family and that he had pretty clearly just, it wasn't going to work for him. Like, all right, you lost to the new breed of dude and it wasn't competitive. Luke Rockhold beat the brakes off of him. And so any other fighter <laughs> could have easily hung it up and walked away and instead, he just had the best run of his life, which you is know, you know really what's crazy about that him. man. Right after that fight, he fought in Montreal against CB Dalloway. Remember this? It was a uh, very lacked mm-hmm. fanfare, mm-hmm. completely because of what had happened before. And I remember, and Ariel tells the story too. Um, him basically saying like, "I'm, I will be back. I will fight for a title again." And I remember just hearing him say this, and you're like, "Oh man, he's now in that delusional part of his career," you know. Just that, that like, now you're getting the guy who just is going to hang on to some old goal that is completely gone. And uh, we, I, I, I know I've talked to Ariel about this before because he, he heard him. I guess he told him the same thing in an interview. And uh, it's just one of those remarkable things when you look back and you think, this guy was already repairing. He was already doing this again. But nobody was hearing what he was saying at that moment. And then for him to do it, that's pretty crazy. It's It's insane. Well, I think I'm going to settle on giving it to the Vitor fight because, as Chuck said, when you lose an eyeball, that's really as low as you can go in the sport. So, uh, well argued. We're going to move on to the Ivan Minjavar Award. This award is is named after Ivan Minjavar, who one of my favorite facts about MMA is that George St. Pierre's first career fight came against Ivan Minjavar. That is right. A guy who went on to be a bantamweight for much of his career. (laughs) And a good, like a good one. That's hilarious. But it's always just the weirdest thing to me that I look back and it's like, oh, George St. Pierre fought Ivan Minjavar. So the Ivan Minjavar, uh, this is what is the weirdest, most surprising uh, either... it's supposed to be the most weird or surprising opponent uh, the fighter faced, but you could also extrapolate that out to just a weird moment, a weird incident. Get a little odd with it. I have, I I took a page out of Sean's book from the last episode. I did a deep dive, and I've got a great one. Okay, so I, I like want to go last. You want to go I've last? Because I've got a heater. But what if we? Take I want to go last because what if what if I? There's you, almost no chance you're taking it. I cannot believe right. you would take it. That's so a hell of a I have a setup. I love it. It's I'm gonna give you guys some reading material after the fact. Bait in the you're hook. Dive deep into this human being. Right. I'm a big Bait fan of this. Hook. I'm a big fan of Bait this. Bait in the hook. But Sean, <laughs> let's start with you. What what do you have for the Ivan Minjavar Award? So this one was a bit hard for me. Um initially I had said GSP, just because it is still kind of weird. That he fought George St. Pierre. Like if you go back to 2012 or 2010 and you said, hey, there's going to be a pay-per-view 
pretty big pay-per-view headlined by Michael Bisbing versus George St. Pierre. You would just kind of stare at somebody and not really understand what they're talking about because those guys were just never linked. Like that was just never even a, a matchup that anybody <laughs> thought about point. for the entirety of their careers. Then all of a sudden it happens. Uh, and hey, get that payday, man. I'm, I'm glad it happened. Uh, but for me, actually, I settled on the Chael and rematch that like 20 people saw. And I was one of those 20 people. Well, the submission, the submission grappling one? Yeah. So wow. if, you guys, if you guys remember that Dude, there was a very bizarre thing. There yeah. was a very bizarre event that happened in Phoenix in 2016. It was called the Your Fight. U-R capital fight. And it, I had never heard of the promotion before. It was on some weird streaming thing that never, I'd never heard of before. I was in person for it. And it was this weird mixed <laughs> match event where like, Michael was going to go against Chael in a grappling match. Uh, and then I think Roy Jones Jr. was was there. He was going to f- just box some some rando and, and beat up some rando. Rey Mysterio was going to uh, do a wrestling match with somebody. They had like a musical performance by, oh, God, who was this rapper? It was this white rapper who was just a, a clown. I can't remember who he was. Uh, that I can't believe this name's escaping me, but it was Riff Raff. It was like this musical wow. performance from Riff Raff <laughs> in the middle of it, and then now like I'm, it was, now I'm regret. You you've set this up that now I'm regretting not have been there. Like I, you're, like, you're trying to poo poo on it. I'm like, dude, I should have been there for this. It this was rewarding, Sean. Sean has has heaters like this. I love a carnival. It's an incredible story. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever been a part of. And like the MMA portion of this main event for like weeks is being promoted in Arizona as Dan Severn versus Ken Shamrock when their combined ages had to be 120 at that point. <laughs> and then the actual match we got for the MMA main event uh, was the legendary Shannon Rich Versus some Whoa. guy named Maverick Harvey. It was oh, a great Harvey. name. That is <laughs> a great name. But I just remember being here for this circus. Shit. And the the Bisbing Chael thing was the first thing to go. And afterwards, again, there's like 100 people or less in this weird arena that's very empty. And Mike just comes and sits with us by the media because there was nobody really else there. And he's just getting drunk, like right behind us, kind of just like lambasting the rest of this as it's unfolding in front of him. Like he got his paycheck. Him and Chael didn't really try very hard. They just (laughs) grappled to a draw and then got their paychecks. And Mike's just sitting there getting drunk behind us. It was hilarious. It was absolutely (laughs) hilarious. Dude, did you write something coming out of this? Yeah. I, I think I just did. write it. I think I was still young in my ah. career, maybe. So I like wrote just Damn. like a recap of it or something. If I was there You'd now, been, I would. I would have. You would have went I crazy. Man. That's a on Gonzo. <laughs> oh, I love that stuff, man. Yeah, that is unbelievable. Well, that is. Man, that's that's an, a great one. That's an incredible one. And now that Jed has set the table for his, I feel like mine is just going to be a bunch of BS. So I'm just going to. I'll throw it out there. But you guys remind me of the context of this because. I honestly don't remember, and I I, was, I looked at this too late, like to like kind of research this again. But the Jason Mayhem Miller situation, where he like coaches opposite, I remember watching that and all that. But then the uh, you know getting in there and fighting in a very non-competitive fight that seemed to me like the weirdest thing, even when it was happening, because it was like why? <laughs> it was like there was no real, <laughs> there was no real. Um, there was no real feel of uh, of a good reason as to what was why this was happening, but to me that's still even looking at his career now. I'm like, oh yeah, God, that weird episode when you know, like they they went through this. 
to me, that was the strange one. It was kind of out of left field and didn't make sense. Yeah. But I don't really truly remember the context. Was it just that they wanted two combustible personalities? Is that what the situation was? I, I don't really remember anymore. My recollection is that this was this was getting Miller into the UFC because because yeah. before was before this was? he was he had been in Dream he he, yeah. he, was, he fought for the Strike Force title oh, he, and then Strikeforce. he went to Dream and then yeah he and was like a big name at the time he yeah he down in Nashville not not you know uh, yep. all that stuff was happening not not too long yep. before that you know it was like but yeah and yeah <laughs> he bizarre. he was just a big name and. He was one of the few kind of stars outside the UFC at that point, and I think they just wanted to put, like you said, two combustible personalities in there. The idea of putting Mayhem on TV seemed like a good one. Uh, I don't remember (laughs) a single thing. I I remember not a single thing from that season of The Ultimate Fighter except Tony Ferguson? Was that his season? I don't know. I don't remember. Yes, it was. The legend. Wow. The legend. <clears throat> oh, and the John Dodson, Dodson too. And TJ Dillashaw. Oh, that's right. Oh, oh actually, I went to the, no, actually went to the That finale, wasn't Ferguson. That was that the Bantamweights and the Featherweights. Yeah. I think that was when they were introduced That's the to one yeah. uh, gotcha. finale that was working at ESPN that they actually, like, hey, do you want to go cover this finale when Dillashaw fought uh, Dodson? Wasn't that the, the fight? And it was in the, like, the small room with the Pearl and, or whatever. <laughs> Only time I've ever been to one of those finales, yeah. man. Pretty crazy. It was it was Dillashaw, Dodson, and then the legend Diego Brandau versus Dennis yeah. Bermudez. legend. Oh yeah. man, I forgot that that fight happened. I still remember Michael Chiesa was sitting between Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey at that event, right behind Press Row. That is a tough I spot drank to sit. It, trying to get them both a little uh, happy. It was the weirdest thing. But at this point, they weren't feuding. <laughs> of course, he did. It was hilarious. I was like, "Look at this guy!" You know, he's trying to. No, not Michael Chiesa. I'm sorry. What's that dude's name? Kit McKenzie. Remember that guy? You know McKenzie? Cody McKenzie? Cody yeah, the, McKenzie. Cody McKenzie. McKenzie team? The other legend. That's who it was. It was Cody McKenzie. He was like, he thought he was, I don't know what he thought he was doing that night, man, but he was feeling no pain and he was trying to get everybody down on his level there. You know what I mean? It was uh, <laughs> oh my interesting. God. Jed, when we do the, when we do episode 250 of Damn They Were Good and we <laughs> do the Cody McKenzie, McKenzie episode, I desperately oh my want God. to be on that. You're in. Lock, lock it in <laughs> the McKenzie team for two hours. Oh my God, uh, there's so much. Super, super fast note on that on that event because it's so funny the way we look at these in retrospect. Of the four finalists of that tough season, Dillashaw, Dodson, Brandau, Bermudas, everyone thought Brandau would be the best out of all four of those. Like, and it yeah. wasn't even a conversation. It was just like, oh yeah, Diego Brandau it's, of it's those funny. four is going to have the best career. It's a weird sport. It's a very it is weird. weird. Sport. Well, I'm. Ex- I'm excited because you didn't get either of the two things I had here. One of them I didn't think you would. The other I kind of thought I will throw as a throwaway. Uh, Apparently, Michael Bisping kickboxed Cyril Diabati, which is a super weird fact. Because Cyril Diabati is like a good kickboxer. Yeah, Yeah, I found that out when I was doing some research. Um, You know, Cyril Diabati ended up making a a run in MMA and in the UFC. But long before that uh one of the few kickboxing fights he had apparently bisping kickboxed him but as i said i took a page out of your book sean and you know you your story for i don't even remember the dude's name the tommy gouge tommy gouge for carlos condit it made me want to dive deep into the early fights and and see if i could (laughs) dig up a gym and do either of you know a single thing about a man named david dave Radford, the guy who Bisping won the Cage Warriors light heavyweight title by defeating. 
because there is a phenomenal piece of writing by Steve Bunce uh, for Boxing News Online about Dave Radford and the time he once fought Roberto Duran in a boxing match because Dave Radford was just like a British tough guy who didn't care. And his day job was a plasterer. And it's a story <laughs> about how Duran had a guy fall out. Uh, uh, Radford had some boxing matches. None of like, didn't have like this accomplished career, but he had some, they ran into him like out on the street at two 30 in the morning while he was having a brew. And he was just like, yeah, I'll fight him. <laughs> so he boxes Roberto Duran and then strikes up a friendship with Roberto Duran after the fact, because Roberto Duran was like impressed that the dude can, you know, could take a shot real well. Uh, all this stuff that, by the way, so we're clear that fight happened in 1997 and <laughs> Bisping then beat Dave Radford to win the cage warriors light heavyweight title in 2005. So wow. Dave Radford, just a British tough dude, plasterer, just say, yeah, love I'll the scrap. Like I don't that, care. Man. You got to love the guys uh, like that who just found their ways into strange fights and were always willing and. They could they they have the greatest stories of all. That dude should write a book, man. You know what I mean? Like if you've done all of that, and there's probably a million things we don't even know about, but uh, guys like that, they have a story to tell. Dude, that dude has so many stories to tell, and it's when you read, if you go find the article and read about it, it's it's hilarious to listen or to to read and be like, yeah, Duran and I kind of became buddies. We joked around a lot. He's a dirty fighter, but you know. <laughs> It's smart of him to be a dirty fighter because he knew that he's Roberto Duran. So ref, the ref's not going to call him for doing any, any shady stuff to me. Is an <laughs> unbelievable piece of information I found. And it made me really happy to know that the degrees of separation between Michael Bisping and Roberto Duran is one. It is one degree of separation wow, between man. the two. That, that is era, crazy. man. That's again why that era is so special to me. It's just like these type of randos that just find their way in this. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, dude, just just the best. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. All right, moving on. Just a few categories left to discuss before we close her down. Uh, my favorite category, the Fedor Sweater of Absolute Victory Award. Now, this should be <laughs> fairly self-evident to anybody who is a deep-cut MMA fan, but if you could have one piece of memorabilia from Michael Bisping's career, a.k.a. Fedor Sweater of Absolute Victory, Quentin <laughs> Rampage Jackson's Chain, something like that, what would it be? I'm going to lead off because I think that there are there's one very obvious answer, and then there's the answer that I actually mean in my heart. The obvious answer is the prosthetic eye, right? Like I feel like oh, that's, I didn't even think of that. 
I feel like that's you disgusting it's maybe human being, Jed. Or, Come on. or in poor taste. <laughs> but like, you wouldn't like that on the mantle of the like. If, if no, that would be a story. If, if that's, ever, a, that's a conversational piece, right there. Is, you is know? The UFC, yeah. If they ever built a real Hall of Fame that you could go to, which would be a dope idea. <laughs> Like they would for sure be like, "Hey Bisping, can we get one of your eyes oh to just Lord. put here and kind of because it tells a story?" Have but you guys ever other... seen? Have you guys ever seen Mike just pop his eye out? He did it one time. He did it for me one time. I had no idea that he. I don't think he'd ever publicly publicly talked about it yet. And he was like, he just popped it out right in front of me. And I was like, "No way!" And he's got you know the cloud behind it. It was bizarre as hell, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. One of the strangest moments. Super weird. Uh, so that's I think that's the most obvious one though from the sounds of it you guys did not think of that one the the one I would actually like to have for my my day-to-day life because I wouldn't use I wouldn't use the prosthetic eye on the day-to-day but the Bisping the the jacket he wore when he was sauced up at the GSB pre-fight presser that's just a, oh that's, just that's a, a good that's a, cut it's a good jacket just, now you're just reading his words I would I like. for sure love that jacket all right that's, that's, that's a good jacket, that's not and bad. it's also a, a funny moment in history when he was just obviously enjoyed some beverages and s- just came stumbling onto yeah. the stage while GSP. I thought you were going to say his wife proper did. and trying to pitch this. <laughs> no, that's that's a <laughs> I'm not trying She's... to have Michael Bisping fight me. <laughs> Aren't you? Um, Careful, Mendenhall. <laughs> yeah. She seems like a lovely lady. No, and she's they awesome. have made several wonderful children together. Yes, yes. Very nice. Um I you know what? I feel like I gotta tread <laughs> what, a little lightly have, on this this category because uh you know, ever since uh you know Alexander like uh, ever since Alex kind of ran around in uh in Condit's jockstrap and got banished from the show, man, I feel like I have to like <laughs> I have to like be careful of what I say. He but... took it to strange places. <laughs> That was a bizarre one to kick off this kind of category. Uh, it told me, it informed me <laughs> things that maybe I didn't it understand. It really was. Um, <laughs> you know what, man? I, you guys have mentioned the Haynes fight. I would probably take his gloves from that just because it started the whole thing, you know? It started his whole career. I think that that would be a cool thing to be like, this is the the one that got him across. I, you know, I do believe that that was the fight that people paid attention to him and put him on the course that he was on, uh, changed his life. All those things. So, if you're going to take a piece of memorabilia that you wanted to put on your wall, like in some, you know, glass encasement or whatever, maybe those gloves would be be the one. Just uh, given how everything played out for him over the years. Fair, Sean. What about you? That's a good one. Um, I struggled on this a bit, but then once I kind of landed on where I landed, I, I felt pretty good about it. To me, there's my favorite photo of Mike is a photo that was taken during the Anderson Silva fight, and it's right after the knee. And he's, I think it, maybe it's between rounds or something. And he's sort of like bending down his hands on his knees and he's just gashed open. Like his face is just blasted open and he's just oh, yeah. leaking blood. And it's like just one of the most visceral MMA photos I've ever seen where it's just, he's just crimson mass coated in blood. And then obviously comes out and wins that round, that fourth round. Um, to me, I think it would be really cool to have the, the bloody British flag that he had after oh, that fight. Oh, that's a good one. Where he it's wins really that fight, one. he's getting, you know, all this praise from the the crowd. It's a real moment and he's just sort of soaking it all in and he's holding this flag and it's just covered in blood from just this incredible wound, just gaping wound on his head. But it's like he did it. 
He actually did it. He did yeah. this thing that no one thought he could. He, and he proved everybody wrong for the first time uh, of what was going to be multiple provings of wrongs. <laughs> uh, and so I would just like to have that flag. I think that'd be cool to hang up. And then you point people be like, oh, why do you have a British flag? And you kind of tell the story. Sean, you are certain. To, I'm really starting to see one. your blood fetish because didn't you last time with the condit you wanted some bloody shorts? Now you got a bloody flag. As long as it's got blood on it, that's what. That's your memorabilia <laughs> yeah, right there. You just, you know, proof, proof about what it was about. I'm a sicko. What do you want I from me? It, We're all sickos. Well, We're this, doing, this, uh, this lends itself into exposing yourself as a sicko when you're talking about taking memorabilia from a fighter. You know what I mean? Like, so, I, you ever see the dudes who pull out their mouthpiece and just throw it into the audience when they're done? You pay attention to the guy oh, who's yeah. trying to grab that because you want to stay away somebody, from that guy, you know? Somebody caught that. <laughs> I know, dude. I it's... see people do it all the time. Oh, it's nasty. Chuck, were you the one that got, like, pegged with the mouthpiece once? I feel like somebody's told no. me that story. Was it you? No, it wasn't okay. me. I don't know They've landed in the vicinity, though. I've seen that happen twice where it's just beyond media row, but it wasn't. it didn't hit me or anything. <laughs> all right. Next category. <laughs> The International Player Haters Ball. Uh, this is based on a phenomenal Chappelle Show skit. Uh, and we're just we're just going to do a little nitpicking. We've actually covered a lot of things that I would talk about uh, here on this one already. But I'll just fire them out uh, very quickly. And you guys can add anything that I, I may have forgot. All right. One, uh, this man lost to Dan Henderson twice. So let's just <laughs> make sure we respect that. It is all of his best highlights. Uh save for the Rockhold KO or him getting KO'd. Like the highlight reel of fights he's in is him losing, which is a tough scene. He didn't have a top 10 win until Brian Stan. That was 17 fights into his UFC career. Some, some absurd number like that. And that's obviously a little harder to judge because they weren't the same level of rankings. But at the time when I wrote the article on him, that was a thing that I was like, who was the first like good fighter he beat? And the answer is Brian Stan, uh, however deep into his I'll put, career. I, I push back on that, actually. I feel like that's that's rewriting history in a way. There, a lot of his early guys were like those borderline top 10 guys, like the, where they'd be like an 8, 9, 10 range. Like that was kind so, of where he was floating for a long time. Like you look at the Liebens and the Kangs and the Akiyamas and all those guys. So it's this is very far from official, but when I did, when I did, went back and looked at it, I used Sherdog rankings because they had rankings forever. And Stan was his first win over a guy they had the top 10 at the time he fought him. Not again, that's by no means some sort of official bandit, but <laughs> it, it speaks to the big knock on his career that he was the penultimate fighter. Uh, and then my last one, I didn't realize it. I mean, I remembered it sort of esoterically, but as I went back and watched more fights, he was just, he had to be the most annoying human being in the world to fist fight <laughs> because as much as he, you know, doesn't like like big cheating and PEDs, man wasn't afraid to throw an illegal knee, to have some eye pokes out, <laughs> to constantly complain to the refs to grab the cage. I mean, hell, we've danced around it. The reason Anderson Silva almost knocked him out and won is because he as he spit out his mouth guard mm. and then pointed to John McCarthy and was like, My mouth guard's out. And Anderson kept fighting and he didn't. And so Anderson kneed him in the face. Like he when you go back and watch, I get why guys like Josh Haynes <laughs> might might still have a bit, bit of salt with him because he was chatty and just the worst kind of fighter in in that respect. He would be a guy that would be awful to be across the cage from. 
Well, also because he would do let you know. Like he, he, yeah. yeah, he was breaking dudes, like like legitimately breaking dudes. Several of the guys who I spoke to for that feature were like, he broke me in a way that I didn't know I could be broken, and it's wow. just like that's a skill. Like that's a real skill. Oh, it's absolutely a skill, and it's it's like a very different way. It's you know not being like an over the top cannon, but just needling at you in like the most annoying fashion. Death by a when thousand he, cuts, yeah. Mm-hmm. When he, it really drove home to me when he fought. I went back and watched the GSP fight. GSP scores a takedown in the first round, and I'm this is not hyperbolic. Immediately, Michael Bisping looks at Dan uh, uh, John McCarthy for stand up. I think it was John McCarthy, maybe it's Herb Dean. He like. GSP has him against the fence, takes him down, is working on position, and instantaneously to his butt hitting the floor, Bisping puts his hands behind him and looks up and is like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, McCarthy? Stand me up. Like, it's just that kind of just jabbing at you in the most annoying way. He wasn't above it. Did I leave anything out, though? Oh, not above it. And that's not a critique. Look, that is no, a, man. a way you to fight, do, and it worked fight very well for him. Six hours of octagon time, or wherever the hell it is, you better be a little dirty. I mean, and also he's he's a student of the game. You know, he knows that uh, being a little dirty pays off. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, you should cheat a little bit. If you're not doing that, you're not maximizing your full um, what you're what you're allowed to do ultimately in a fight. So um, I know what you're saying, though. I, I agree with everything you said. Um, the only other one I would I might add, which I know was a point of emphasis during his title run, was the guys he was facing during his title run. The non-contending. It wasn't the guys that people were like, you know, the the Romeros or the uh, the Whitakers and guys like that, right? It was uh, Dan Henderson who had no business even getting the fight. Um, you know what I mean? Like it was guys like that who's fighting. And then so you could you could you could make a point that. Um, he was avoiding the top talent at that point, but he, like for a lifetime achievement and kind of what it meant and where the UFC is and kind of getting out of the meritocracy and looking at it from big picture. I had no real problem with the way the, his career was playing out, especially as one eye, all the things yeah, yeah. had no real problem with it. But I know some people criticized, criticized him in the moment about that, you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just how this goes. Yeah. Sean, do you, are you just all roses and sunshine for Michael Bisping? <laughs> no, I mean, the only, in terms of nitpicks, I, I struggled, but the one I did come up with was what Chuck just mentioned, where there was a real top four around the, the middleweight scene at that point, right? It was, was Whitaker, like, it, was, it was Rockhold, it was Weidman, and it was Romero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Whitaker, uh, Romero, Jacare. We haven't mentioned Jacare. Right, and, uh, yes. Jacare. All those guys. And like, he didn't, he didn't fight any of them but like also at the time i was in the same boat of like i don't actually want to see this like why 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 are we doing this like let's let this guy do what he's trying to do right here uh and i will reiterate he did beat dan henderson the second time and oh, he's one and one against dan henderson i mean he did officially and i strongly argued for the hindo fight because i just thought it was fun even though it was obviously dumb and it was fun i don't regret it at all um though now looking back at your romero's career and maybe have some regrets. It literally felt like a lifetime achievement though. award. Like you win unlikely champion. Suddenly you've thrown a monkey wrench into a division that nobody expected you to, to be a champion. In, and suddenly you're that guy. All right. Well, let's let's do that one. That's a big fight that we, everybody's been talking about. We've been putting this guy on our on our highlights forever, getting knocked out by Dan Henderson. Let's give him the chance to rectify. I had no problem with it, man. I was like, let him do it. Like Dan Henderson. Come on. That's a great rematch. So anyway, yeah, so if you awesome. if you put it in context, like. The way Hendo actually got that fight, he fought on one ninety nine too, same he night. Followed Hector Lombard's face off. Oh boy, and yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's 
that Henderson knockout of Lombard is like yeah. low key Shit. one of the most brutal things you will ever see in your life. It's just like a temp, uh, a spinning elbow to the temple. Like it yeah, is gross how bad that is. Yeah. And he gets another. He gets. He gets some follow-up shots, too. Like, it is real. He's nasty with the follow-up <laughs> shots, man. It's Like, he, uh, I was here for it. That's hilarious. Man, I can't wait to do Dan Henderson's career on here one day. Oh, yeah. That man had a very interesting career. Um, all right, cool. We are going to move on to the Alternate Universe Award. And this is just what's the biggest what-if of Michael Bisping's career. And oddly, I think this would have been a much more full category had he not ended up winning the belt and doing all the things we've yes. said. Because for me, I, I I didn't have a lot of them. Um, that not, not a ton of things jumped out at me. You know, what if he didn't lose the eye? Uh, that seems right. That, that seems almost too obvious. Uh, but the two big ones for me were, what if Herb Dean had called off the Silva fight after the, after he got kind of knocked out at the end of the third round? I don't think Herb Dean should have, um, though it wouldn't have been unreasonable for him to. But I think you you alluded to it earlier, Sean. If that fight is not um, in uh, in London, that might not happen. And if that happens, then then what is what does his career look like? Uh, and then the other one for me is I think the biggest what if that probably he would attach to his career. What if he didn't fight a bunch of dudes who use drugs? Because for one of the <laughs> that is most, a big what if. Like, like one of the most outspoken guys against uh, PED usage in MMA it has been forever. Specifically, the Vitor thing always was a big point of contention for him for obvious reasons. But he has, by my count, uh, he fought seven dudes who, at one point in their career, failed drug tests, and that's not including Vanderlei Silva who I don't think ever actually technically failed the drug test, but did get a lifetime ban, uh, I believe, if I'm not remembering that incorrectly, because he refused to test for drugs at one point. So that's eight eight fighters. I mean, could be. Can, we can't make assumptions, but I'm saying that's eight yeah. fighters and like six of his nine losses are directly tied to people who are directly tied to to illegal illegal substance use. So... I think that certainly had he never won the career, won the belt, that one would have been a big plaguing question for him. But I still think it's worth kind of thinking about what his career would have looked like if if that wasn't the case, because he could have been a champion way earlier, frankly, yeah. like that. That was in the realm of possibility. It's, it's crazy. It's so man. Um, strange. Yeah. Go for it, Jeff. Oh, I was just going to say it, it, it's it's great. That, that was my big what if as well. Honestly, it was like just kind of. Every other what if that he had, like the what ifs played out in his career in such unique ways that you can't really come up with one because he did win that tie. Like you mentioned, like his story came out in such a unique way, mostly to his favor, you know, and it feeds into his legacy and all that. So the what ifs are a little bit weird. But I, I was saying, what if they, the judges have given him that fight against Chael Sonnen in 2012 out in Chicago? You know, it. there's a lot of domino effects that took place. But the biggest thing was... Everybody wanted to see that rematch between Son and and, uh, and Silva, right? Like this was the very first, I you know, like that that rivalry became the biggest thing at that moment in time. 
And it's just you look at it from all perspectives that I'm not sure how that plays out. You know, like if if uh, if Bisping suddenly has won now five in a row, like where is he at? Is he getting the title shot? Um, is he getting a title quicker? Like, does he even end up in that Vitor Belfort smash fest down in Brazil, uh, you know, like the next year? All those things. The whole thing just changes just from a judge's standpoint. And then do you, what happens with Chael Sonnen at that point, right? Like, so I feel like th- that that was one of those crossroad glass, you know, sliding glass doors thing that you're like, um, judge's scorecard go another way. It could have been a whole different UFC the way it would look after that. I mean, yeah, it's... Honestly, his career could be worse. Like it could, because maybe he doesn't win the belt than ever. Maybe he's just the dude who finally got to fight Anderson Silva, and Anderson's not a little diminished. Like it's, it is a huge a sliding true, glass doors yeah. moment, and it's, it worked out. Really, his career worked out. I think, oddly, in an awful way, but maybe the best possible way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, that and yeah, I mean, a lot of those were sort of my what ifs I came up with as well. I think the drug one is the biggest one uh, because really you look at a, a period of time that I think most people had this last chapter not happened would have considered his prime, right? This this like sort of in between moment in his career, maybe between two thousand eight to two thousand thirteen. His only losses during those time are Hendo, Vandalay, Chael, Vitor. And what do all those guys have in common, right? It's it's yeah. Vandalay never tested positive, just so we're clear. Okay, anybody who watched Vandalay for most of his career knows what was going on. Like, let's be real with each other here. And if I was Mike at that point in time, especially after the Vitor one and you're dealing with these eye issues, and those are the four that you've suffered, I would be feeling some type of way. And it would be really hard for me to reconcile that and like not just go full blast public going against the like publicly just like how is this happening so much in this sport right now um so for him to actually just contain himself to a certain degree during that period all the credit to the man because i probably wouldn't have been able to the only other what ifs that i came up with were sort of the other side of it right because we talked about the luck aspect of it and there was a lot of luck at the end of it where Mm -hmm. say that because like before the the anderson booking mike was supposed to fight or uh mike was supposed to fight musasi in London, oh, and like, can you imagine if Anderson doesn't? For him. Yeah, can you imagine if yeah, Anderson doesn't all about that. say, "Hey, I want to fight." The, and so Mike just fights Musasi, and like, maybe that's the end of the run. And then the Weidman thing, where like, maybe Chris Weidman doesn't get hurt. What if Chris Weidman doesn't get hurt, and, and Mike just ends up fighting Yoel Romero for like a number one contender spot on that same card or something like that? Um, or like, even what if he's not able to fool the commission? And like, hey, I have two working eyes. No, you don't. You clearly don't. Everybody knows you don't. And you're done. And he's just forced to retire at that point. And maybe the Vitor fight is his last fight at that point. And it's just that's the way he goes out. Like there are so many different levels of where this could have gone so badly wrong. And it would just be the ultimate tragedy. And it just didn't happen. For sure. All right. We have just a couple categories left. And we're going to try and wrap this up pretty quickly. The Sean Ferris Award for the actor who should play them in a movie. This name, <laughs> we're still workshopping it, but I decided I wanted to name this award after Sean Ferris because he plays Jake Tyler in the cinematic masterpiece that is Never Back Down, arguably the greatest mixed martial arts film of all time. Uh, and this is a nice. This is a nice view into your mind, Jed. This is really enlightening to me. I'm seeing a lot of. Look, never back down is a hysterically funny piece of cinema <laughs> that I will never stop being in love with. All right. This was the actual most difficult category for me. The only person I could come up with 
who I think would be a good fit. I need a young, young Ewan McGregor, you know, round hmm. Star Wars, his initial time in Star Wars, that time seems seems to be the fit because I can't think of anybody current day who they're all either a little older, you know, like Tom Hardy is is big and physical and British, but like I just young Ewan McGregor is where I settled on, but I'm not married to this. So somebody pitch me somebody <laughs> better and I'm I'm willing to change my well, team. Let me ask you something. Does John Kitna have any acting chops? John Kitna <laughs> is not a name I was That expecting. is a deep cut. <laughs> John Kitna. Not, always, oh. well, when, when Bisping was coming up, I always used to think, dude, he's like John I mean, Kitna's doppelganger, it. man. It was weird as hell. Um, but that, like, I know John is not actually. John Kitna in, <laughs> I just Googled John Kitna, and that is money. That was that I mean, the, it's, it's, it's bizarre, right? Like, they, they look like they could on. be legit, be like brothers or something. But uh, in terms of Especially actors. That, the early days, Bisping, yeah. when his head is shaved. With the shaved like, head, yeah. This is this is actually a tough one because Mike has a pretty sharp look. Like, he, he his eyebrows are just sharp. And um, I was looking at, you know, you're thinking of guys like. Uh, Channing Tatum or somebody who might be able to kind of morph their face a little to to look like that, uh, somebody like that. But of course, I think Ch- he's played like a fighter before, right? Like, um, so you probably wouldn't want to be redundant. But like maybe a guy like uh, Wes Bentley, the cat who was in um, American Beauty, like he was the kid in that one. He's been in a bunch of other stuff since then. Maybe somebody like that uh, could could. You know what I mean with the makeup Ooh, and West effects. Wes Bentley's a really good choice. Like I had maybe, to Google him because I only know this actor. Yeah, by yeah, face. he's he's kind of he's that, one of those guys you'd recognize him if you look at him. But uh, he he might be able oh, yeah. to kind of pull that off. I think that that could be a pretty decent choice. Still forty three. Yeah, yeah, you're older. Getting, yeah, but you know these actors, man. They they keep them. They're vegans. But, you know what I mean. mean? And, and we have technology. <laughs> We've got technology these days. Scorsese turned De Niro into like a thirty-year-old. We could do something with with a forty-year-old guys. Now we're talking. Sean, do you have anybody? So I, I struggled a bit, and I feel like I landed on two that I feel pretty okay about. One in particular, I think I feel pretty good about. Uh, my first was Ray Stevenson. If you guys have, have n- Ray watched Ray Stevenson, know Ray Stevenson. He's he's kind of a character actor you've seen him in probably a lot of stuff he was in rome if you remember rome the hbo series kind of has that tough guy look yeah he feels like he could be a british tough to me i i I I like he's supposed to be bisping's dad in whatever the movie we're casting is (laughs) i'm I'm talking like a younger i guess like a younger version of him i was gonna say cat's Um, like 58 years old or something but that's all right he could do yeah but the the one i settled on that i actually kind of really like and now wish that we had the technology to make this happen uh Give me like a young Clive Owen. So Clive Owen was absolutely someone in my list. And then I just decided that I think I liked Ewan McGregor better. But I told (laughs) one, he's a better actor than Ewan McGregor for sure. And I think he brings a little more physicality to the role, which you probably need for, especially for young British street tough Michael Bisping. So I like that pick a lot. Not bad. Not bad. All right. Uh, just a couple more. Cole Conrad, maybe my favorite award, actually. The Cole, <laughs> Cole Conrad, Conrad Career Change Award. Dust off Cole Conrad's is name. I love after, it. It's <laughs> named after the hero Cole Conrad, who was a Bellator champion and just quit MMA yeah. to go trade milk because as why one not? Does. Um, as one does. <laughs> what would Michael Bisping be doing if he were not a fighter? This was the easiest category for me because, okay. I mean... I could be wrong, but 
the man before he dived deep into the fighting thing, he was he was trying to be a DJ, DJ Mikey B. He oh, still spins the yeah. He still spins the records every now and again. He's not half bad if we're being honest. And if he had focused all of his time and energy on DJing in the mm. British club scene instead of kickboxing and karate and all the stuff he did, I feel like, you know, he, he could have gotten up there. Maybe maybe not be like a dead mouse or something, but he could have made a, a solid living as a DJ. So that's where I'm settling. Imagine him spinning right now at Ibiza. You know what I mean? I, I mean, see that. Maybe, maybe he made the bad career choice because that sounds pretty okay to me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fine. Get the pacifiers and the baggy pants. Um, that's a tough one. You mentioned that he, you know, he spent some time in the clink. So you hope that he wouldn't end up like in prison or something. Like some of these guys, like it's funny because they find fighting and it really does save them on some level, gives them a focus, all that stuff. You'd hope that he wouldn't have ended up something like that. He's a fast talker and a good seller. I would, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up being a a salesman of some kind, like where he's like able to move product. You know what I mean? Because to me, he's like. He's very enthusiastic. He's got a lot of knowledge. He's very smart. I could see him doing something like that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is, that's a tough question because he is such a dedicated fighter. You know what he's I mean? So to imagine yeah. him, yeah, it's such, he's, a, he's the quintessential fighter. So to, like, imagine him doing something else, I just feel like would never jibe with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I kind of went. what about you? I kind of went in the same vein as Chuck here about just the gift of gab and in ways to utilize that. I was trying to think of different ways he could have figured out how to use that. And I came up with two. I mean, I think he could have been a, a tremendous 90s era pro wrestling manager in the WWE. Oh, just like oh, would have been excellent. Re- really going hard with the, the English accent and just really making oh, everyone yeah. hate him uh, and probably getting subtitled. Uh, I think that would have been fantastic. <laughs> Also, though, I think he could have probably just been a really incredible, like, Hollywood agent. Like an Ari Gold-esque, brash Hollywood agent who's hanging up on people and swearing people out on calls and conference calls and just, like, putting the fear of God into his employees. Like, I think there's a world where that could have (laughs) worked. I like that one. I like both of those. I I like both of those a lot. All right. Phil Baroni, I'm the best ever award. This is what, what is the career peak the the highest of high where where were they at their absolute best i think the answer for this one is obvious uh it's ufc 199 it's when he knocked out luke rockhold and became the ufc middleweight champion i'm willing to hear other arguments but i think that one is the clear winner grown men were crying all over to me it's that it's yeah it's the twosome you could maybe do of like silva and rockhold but otherwise it's the rockhold yeah, the only other thing I even considered was the sauced up press conference against GSP because that was Michael Bisping in rare form yeah. uh, about to get the biggest fight of his life. But, and GSP uh, just flabbergasted. Just can't believe this is happening. Cannot believe that he's coming out of retirement for this. It's one of my favorite things to watch. Yeah, Really, Bisping did a tremendous job on the mic in so many occasions for us. And... And this is it. We've come to the final category of the evening of the podcast of Michael Bisping's career. It doesn't have a catchy or fun or interesting name because I have yet to think of one, but it is just, <laughs> what is the legacy of Michael Bisping? What is, when when you think of him, kind of where where does he fall in the pantheon? What are your final thoughts on the career of Michael the Count Bisping? Chuck, let's start with you. 
I think, like I mentioned, that he's a quintessential fighter. I think he is a fighter through and through. Like he's like the symbolic idea of a fighter. He is a the literal definition of a fighter. I just think that that's his legacy. He's a guy who has the passion, and I think that he's got the passion to not only understand how to sell a fight, right? Like how to get it under people's skin in a fight, how to manipulate the psychological space before a fight, how to carry a country on his back going into a fight, um, how to make TV ratings and uh, executives pay attention to him. Um, and then how to go in there and get it done against guys that could try to exploit his weaknesses for the longest time. You know, like there were guys who thought they knew exactly how to beat him. Sean mentioned earlier that some people wanted to fight him because he was the biggest name that was beatable. I felt like that was kind of his career. People saw him that way, but they couldn't gauge the size of the fight in him even as he was going on. Like even as he had, uh, you know, one eye and as winning a title and he's defending that title, all those things, he just, to me, in the end, is the quintessential fighter of all fighters. Like the guy has a, a spirit that just won't be broken. And um, I think that that showed in the, you, like you can take all of his adversities and stack them together too and look at this and him co- overcoming because you always hear that old cliche like it's not getting knocked down, man. It's whether you get back up. He's a living example of all of that. He's a living example of all that. So to me, his legacy is just passion for fighting and a, you know, a, a, a literal fighter. Like, that's what he is. He's the example. If you wanted to say, what is a fighter? You would point to Michael Bisping on all of those levels. Sean, what about you? Yeah, I echo a lot of what Chuck said and just a lot of what we've said throughout this pod. I mean, it, at this point, he is, as I said at the beginning, the definition of perseverance, right? Like, the, he is the he is one of the few fighters where I remember where I was for so many early moments of his career, even before I was doing this as a job, just the ultimate fighter, the the Matt Hamill robbery. I remember being there for that and just the whole room being so upset that Mike won the Hendo KO and just all of these moments that, as we said, should have drowned him. Like he should have been infamous for all of these lowlights. And he isn't like I, they're just footnotes at this point. Like people don't mm-hmm. even remember most of the stuff because he is so he is so determined. He he is a true champion. Like he was a guy who just never gave up. He, he again, I think he's probably the fighter who can most convinced people to change their opinions of him throughout his career, just by the way he presented himself and the way that he just never stopped. Like he really, ultimately, to me, is a story of a man who just was so determined to achieve this dream, and he actually did it. He did it against innumerable odds and he did it when it didn't make sense to do it but he actually did it and i i guess last thing for me I'll, i would default to something che- i remember chael telling me and it just stuck with me for a long time where above everything else mike just tried hard right like mike tried to win at all times he never conceded he wasn't looking for one big punch he wasn't looking for one big highlight he was just gonna try he was going to be there in every single moment of the fight, in every single position, with every ounce of himself that he had. And like Chuck said, that's a fighter. That's what a fighter does. And Mike is the ultimate fighter. Nice. He's no longer the penultimate fighter. He yeah. is the ultimate Yeah, he graduated. Because, because of how that worked out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's... Uh, I'm, I'm with you on all this, guys. It is... To me, he is a very interesting career in that his career is more than the sum of its parts. And I don't think that's true for most fighters. You know, he, we talked all about it, this whole pot. He's overcome so much adversity. He has changed his narrative in such a compelling way that we don't really see. And even 
you said, I think at the very beginning, you said that it's become this sort of trite thing, this conceive, believe, achieve. He said that mocking Luke Rockhold, like Luke Rockhold was doing his Luke Rockhold thing before the rematch. And Bisbing was just like, that sounds like a motivational poster. You lose her. Like he said that mocking him. <laughs> and in the end, that's actually like the best, ex- like that is the main lesson of his career is that he he did those things. He believed when nobody else did. And as a result, a he point. was able to persevere through obstacles nobody would have given him a chance to to do. And nobody did. And so as a result, you know, he's one of the biggest overachievers in MMA history, if not the biggest. He has one of, if not the biggest upsets in UFC history. He is one of the best villains in the history of the sport and simultaneously one of the best heroes, which doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, He just all of these things just stack up to make a singularly like a very unique career. And, you know, one of the most interesting careers I think we've ever had in the sport. So, you know, and and that is it's, it's like we said, that all comes down almost exclusively to him just persevering to him just saying, screw it, I'm going to keep going long after the time that almost anybody else would have quit. And that's that's why we're still talking about him today. And that's why, frankly, he'll probably be with us and with the sport for another 20 years. So full credit to you, Michael Bisping. You, you, damn, you were good. Uh, gentlemen, <laughs> Look at that. thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to put Hey, that's well the way to cover you know. up earlier just, mistakes, man. He won't. He's not going to dress you down as bad now when he hears that. Oh, well, we shouldn't. It's all a celebration of the man. Now I want to celebrate you two gentlemen. You yes. came uh, You came on this very long, very exciting journey with me, and I appreciate it so much. Chuck, tell the people where they can find you, where they can read your beautiful words, the greatest words in the world, if they're not Sean's, uh, where your own <laughs> podcast is. Let, let, the, let the folks know. I'm in Connecticut. Ah, come on. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> You can find me on The Ringer. I, we're on Spotify. The, we have The Ringer MMA show usually twice a week. It's kind of up in the air. Like we'll do a Thursday show and then a Saturday after dudes. big events. Yeah, after big events, we'll do like a post uh, a post show. Uh, very fun community. Really jo- enjoy it. Your, your boy Ariel Hawani is with me and PT Carroll, and we have a pretty good time. So uh, it's The Ringer MMA show. And really, that's that's about it. I have a site, themyth.com, M-I-T-H. Uh, where I need to write more in. But so each time I plug that, I'm like, you know, I should really be writing a little more in there. So, uh, you, but yes, you, you can find my stuff. You don't want to give them too much. No, you not don't too much. Give the world too you much. You dole it out, man. Best. This is the age of content. So I go the other way. I make <laughs> them want keep, content. That's what I do. It, keep them asking for more. Sean, <laughs> you are my boss at MMAfighting.com. You're <laughs> either the greatest or the second greatest writer in the world. <laughs> is, is there anything hey, else thanks. that you feel compelled to say? Uh, no, those are very kind words. And again, it was super fun to to be back on this and super fun to reconnect with my old pal over here. So I appreciate yeah. you setting this up. Been too long. Who, by it, the way, was... behind the scenes, we started this call off with not a, hey, Sean, how are you doing? Hey, Sean, it's good to talk to you again. It was just like, how about those Phoenix Suns, huh? That was great, wasn't it? Was, yeah, see? Sorry about that, man. Also, was 1920s Listen. gangster. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> Oh, well, next this year. has gone entirely off the rails. Uh, gentlemen, I appreciate your, your sticking with me through this. 
I appreciate y'all listening. Uh, I don't, we will be back in two weeks with our next episode. Not a hundred percent sure who it's going to be on or else I'd tease that here, but thank you for listening to damn, they were good. And we will see you next time. Support for this episode comes from user testing. Reading minds is hard. Good news is you don't have to. Remove the guesswork by including direct customer feedback using user testing at each stage of the product development process. Companies need to move quickly to build experiences that meet changing customer expectations, all while minimizing risk and costly rework. With user testing, you can get rapid feedback from your target audiences so that you can make higher confidence decisions earlier and faster. Design, develop, deliver, and optimize products and experiences with confidence and less risk. Start your free test today at usertesting.com slash vox.